0: I'm Scott Wapner,
1: and you're listening to
0: CNBC's Halftime Report, the
1: podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, right here at Post Nine, front and center this hour streaking stocks. The question all of us are now wondering. How much more can stocks really rally? We'll discuss and debate that with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vingello, Rich Saperstein, Steve Weiss, John and the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. And with me right here on set, farmer Jim Labenthal. Let's check the market. Stocks do remain on track to break the longest weekly losing streak in decades. As Carl said uh, in the last hour, Stocks positive for May, or the Dow is. Uh, there you go, 354, about the highs of the day. Uh-oh. S&P 500 back above 4,100, so we've repaired a fair amount of damage here uh, over uh, this past week. And I know that sentiment is still so negative, and probably the most negative person on this show, and right, for that matter, over the last many weeks, months, is Steve Weiss, who called me today, just before the show, and said, Wapner. I bought the SMH, I bought the Qs, I bought the Vanguard S&P, I bought Qualcomm, I added to Volkswagen, I added to XPO, I bought Target, and I bought Cleveland Cliffs, he said. and Farmer Jim didn't know that. But Steve, are you more positive here?
2: Well, uh, first of all, Scott, I, I think I called you Mr. Wapner, not Wapner, number one, number two, you know, so I'm not wearing a jacket because so, I didn't want. Thank you. Right. I didn't want I didn't want Jim's tears of joy to come through and, you know, ruin my finely tailored sport coats. So I'm wearing just a shirt. Look, all right. I wouldn't say that my view has changed over the next few months. What I'd say is that I was looking at a number of things. I've been at a at a few conferences with uh, with family offices uh, and everybody was decidedly negative. Everybody that spoke was negative and they sounded, frankly like me. Um, and I, why I'm referring to them is because they have the freedom of choice. Unlike people that come on the show most of the time, they're always biased long. And there's nothing wrong with that strategy, but I like people that can decide one way or the other. And we were collectively talking that, hey, you know, maybe it's time to, to trade it a little bit. And what confirmed it for me is that when NVIDIA, which missed on their guidance and Snowflake, which came in with with zero margins and had a Uh big whiff Uh on their guidance. When those turned around the pre-market, as bonds continued to trade yields, continued continued to trade lower, finally, equities went in the right direction. It hasn't always been the case. So I thought it was a good time to put an exposure. As you'll notice, and as you said, most of my exposure came in the form of ETFs and indexes because I can get in and out of them quickly. They have a lot of liquidity. So that's why I did it. I'm not going to be here very long. Uh, I think it can run for another few days, but I'm even more worried than I was before, and I think you'll see that as we get into mid-July and August and earnings why start to come down. Why are you more
1: worried? Why are you more worried well, than you were before? I mean, you could look at things and say the Fed's getting exactly what it wants. Inflation right. moderating, uh, sentiment negative That crushes demand a little bit, right? They need demand to come down. Stocks have been beaten up, but they're stabilizing, at least for now. Credit markets mostly, you know, pretty much behaving. This is exactly what the Fed wants. So, Brenda, is now the time to be more or just as negative, or can you try and build a positive case here? I'm not suggesting you have to if you're not, but are there reasons to be more positive than, say, a week ago?
3: I think there are and I think there are three important things that we. Gain confidence in this week that were previously worries at the market one. We heard in the Fed minutes that the Fed is willing to pause after two rate hikes if the data suggests they should. And with financial conditions tightening it feels like maybe that will will happen um secondly as you mentioned scott you know we've had inflation starting to come down a little bit baby steps not significant moves but at least moving the right direction and then lastly i think with the the retail earnings we've heard this week we've gained further confirmation that the consumer is still spending they're just spending differently so this is not a case of a massive consumer slowdown that it looked like might be the case last week. But in fact the consumer is still strong and healthy still employed. So with that backdrop uh, it feels different this time in our view that perhaps we could gain further traction here with this rally not calling the bottom but saying it feels a little more um, uh, justifiable here given the news that we've had this week.
1: You don't have a lot of people you know calling the ultimate bottom. Uh, I don't think, but calling a short-term tradable bottom seems to be in vogue this week. Farmer Jim, the man to my left, I'll let you first react to Weiss getting into to Cleveland Cliffs. Uh, but you guys have literally been the yin and the yang of, of this market. Yeah. Um, Mr. Negative, Mr. Positive now maybe finding a, a happy medium. I mean, there are some things that you could be worried about, but there are, I think, a few developments that you could try and get positive around.
4: Yeah, and I'm catching how you're phrasing it. First, I'm going to irritate Steve by thanking him for perking me up. I know that's not what you want to hear, Steve, but anyway. Um, listen, the question du jour, is this a tradable bottom? Is this just a, a bear market rally or are we really off of the corrective bottom? And unfortunately, the answer to that cannot be known right now. It really hinges on inflation and what the Fed is going to do. Uh, what Brenda just said is, in my opinion, why the market rallied this week. When uh, President Rafael Bostic of the Atlanta Fed came out, I think it was Wednesday, maybe it was Tuesday, and he said, you know what, I'd be ready to pause in September that caught me and i think everybody by surprise that was the first hint and it's not enough okay but that was the first hint that the Fed is even thinking about thinking about pivoting. All right. Now, I don't want to lay too much on it. In order to confirm that, you need to see inflation numbers come down. You saw the PCE number today, Scott, but we know that's for April. That's the last of the April figures. What's going on with inflation right now? We're not going to know till June 10th, two weeks from today. You get the CPI report, Mm -hmm. the first look at at, uh, May. And here's what I think you're going to see. I think you're going to see finally it coming in below expectations. Why is that? because inventory to sales has been picking up. You saw it at Walmart and Target, right? Um, And you've been seeing some transition in the labor market from the goods producing sector hopefully to the services sector. I know I sound like a jerk when I say this, I don't mean it that way. The layoffs in the goods producing sector are positive because it allows workers to go to where they're needed. Last thing on this, continuing claims continues to be really low. So I'm making myself feel better, Scott, by saying that if a worker is laid off, they almost instantly find a job. Bottom line, this is a very strong economy.
1: That will be debated uh, for the weeks ahead. Dr. J, I mean, th- this idea of tradable bottom, short-term bottom, not the bottom, I think that's the kind of thing that Mark Newton's mm-hmm. talking about from Fundstrat, where he says breakouts above S- uh, S- SPX 41.14 uh, and the Qs at 3.06 are minimum requirements for what's needed to think the lows are in. He thinks the trading lows are certainly close. Though these are his words. However... Mm -hmm. A move back to new lows is still needed to satisfy many of my technical concerns. I mean, that's what you continue to hear because the people who have seen markets over the decades, like you have, Doc, say, we just haven't had that classic sign of panic, capitulation, VIX rips through the roof, everybody gets crazy scared, and then you can declare, okay, maybe the bottom is in. Irrespective of that, last Friday, we had expiration and we've had a nice move since. Now, it's kind of deja vu because the last time, two weeks ago, we had a nice move since, we gave it all back. Do you have any indication that we're not going to give it all back, let's say next week?
5: Well, the the, the best sign of that, Scott, is that uh, uh, you and I have talked a lot about that volume and volatility. The volume definitely showed up on that huge sell-off this week when we saw 52 million options print. Um, That was a good sign because that was, I think we said, 24% above the average for the year. So that's a positive sign, Scott. Um, It didn't occur at the same time as the VIX spike. um, And normally we would like to see something like that, even though, as Jim said, it's painful to see that, whether it's somebody getting laid off or whether it's a spike in the VIX and a spike in volume. Um, You'd sort of like to see those pretty close together, and they haven't been so far. But um, to to the comments about the Fed, um, that University of Michigan survey today, Scott, that came out saying that um, uh, a majority of their polling audience believes that five and ten years out, we're still going to be looking at a 3 percent inflation rate, which is 50 percent above, of course, what the Fed uh, more or less has set on their own as their uh, mandate, 2%. Um, If the Fed softens up and moves a little bit more towards that, then I think instead of just soft dish, we could see that soft landing. We're all worried that the Fed's going to hit it too hard and that that chemotherapy that they hit it with kills the patient. Hopefully, something like this, saying Americans are more comfortable with seeing a 3% inflation all the way out five and 10 years. That's a positive sign, Scott, and maybe that's why we could be a lot closer to that bounce that we've all been looking for.
1: So, Richie Saps, um, my guy's been negative, too. Um, You have more cash. You've raised more cash maybe that you've ever had. And I see that you have sold Disney. You sold NextEra Energy. Now, you did buy some energy names, which isn't a big shock to me. You trimmed Boeing, Trim Cisco, Trim Raytheon, Trim Walmart. Are you still as negative as you've
6: been? Yes, Scott, it's ironic that no one's really talking about the big fish in the room. That's quantitative tightening. If we think about the Fed added $4.5 trillion to its balance sheet in two years. That's 20% of GDP. Took it up to $9 trillion. It inflated all kinds of asset values, real estate, stocks. Think about Jack Dorsey's tweet that went for $2.9 million And now the bid is, what, around $15,000. And now we're going to start seeing a reverse of that liquidity. Okay. on top of that, we have the war-induced inflation. Then we go to our recession concerns. We have weakening ISM, depressed consumer confidence. And the money supply now is growing at only 1.5%, the M2. So the way we look at it is M2 the shrinking air- what that's shrinking uh, money supply is shrinking. Yeah the M2 but our concern here is that when you couple all of these uncertainties it's leading to a fog in where earnings are going to be. So our view is sure we can get a tradable bottom but in the long run we want to wait for some of these uncertainties and more clarity in the earnings to reset. And that's why we've got a high cash position right now. We're comfortable with it. And I'd rather wait till there's more clarity, And even if the market's up 10 percent before we add. So
1: we have we have what what feels to me then, folks, to be two categories of investors here. And that's the kind of conversation that we're having. We're talking about the same issues, but we are approaching them from two different places. There are some, it sounds to me on this panel, who are willing to engage in a potential short-term bottom. Mm -hmm. Whereas it sounds to me, Mm -hmm. Steve, like Rich, for example, is like, I don't want any part of that because my longer term is is worrisome. I'd rather raise the cash and sit out of the tradable near-term bottom because I don't like what's coming down the pike. You were in that place, but now it feels like you're ready to engage as well because you don't want to miss out on what could be a, another leg to this. If I'll call it bear market bounce. I mean, whatever you want to call it, we can call it what everybody else is calling it. Is that fair?
2: Uh, I'm going to be short-term because Rich hit it absolutely dead on. You've got QT coming And that's going to keep going. And by the way, Bostick isn't a voting member. So let's take what he says with a grain of salt. So that's why I'm more worried because the market is now discounting sort of the end of the tightening cycle, whereas I believe it's just begun and the Fed is not going to go back and forth a million times. So we're going to get two tightenings in June and July, 50 base points east. Powell was clear and QT is starting at the same time and you're seeing margin pressures. And these companies, particularly the retailers that have come out with the pie in the sky guidance going forward, they're going to be dead wrong. Because gas prices keep going up. So while some inflation inputs have come down, overall, it's not meaningful. So this is a very, very short term position for me, as I've made clear. And that's why I said I'm more negative than I was before.
1: OK, so Jim Labenthal, the, the most positive side of, of the week or something. Let's, let's deal with the here and now. Yeah. Right. Let's not let's not look uh, four, five, six months from from now. Let's look at the now financials this week. One of the worst sectors to, to this point. This week, whether it's Jamie Dimon at the shareholder meeting or not, Jane Fraser in Davos with Sarah Eisen talking about bank stocks undervalued. Bank of America up eight percent this week. J.P. Morgan up eleven. Goldman six and a half. Morgan Stanley seven and a half. Wells nine and a half. You don't like those? Uh, how about tech? Apple up seven and a half this week percent. Microsoft the same amount. Alphabet up two and a half. Amazon up five. NVIDIA up ten and a half. I could give you a bunch of retail names that were up a a hell of a lot, too. What's the takeaway from this?
4: Well, I, I think each sector has its own motive forces. So let's start with financials where you began. I think really what's going on there is this tug of war between whether we're going into a recession, Scott, or whether this is just a scare of a growth slowdown. If we're going into a recession, that's why these bank stocks have gotten clobbered is because of the worries worries about credit concerns and credit losses. Otherwise, you would look at a, you know, somewhat steepening yield curve. You would look at a higher interest rate environment. So it should be great for the banks. Um, But you've seen them rally this week on the, uh, the potential that perhaps the Fed is not going to crush the economy. That's the financials. I happen to be long the financials. I believe we are not going into a recession. In the tech and the consumer discretionary, I'm talking about the FANGs, right, the Apples, the Amazon's that you mentioned, I honestly think that's just a relief rally. Um, I don't think they deserved to get hit as hard as they have, but I don't think there's that same motive force that I just described for the financials. I think this is people just saying, look, I want to get back in the markets, whether it's like Steve, they think it's for a short term or whether like me, they think it's for a long term. And they're saying, where do I want to go? Tech and Google and Amazon have always saved me, so why don't I just go there? Both forces are real. To me, I think there is more long-term play at work here. And I know you said you don't want to look out four to five months, but boy, that economic activity about supply chain onshoring, that seems set to go for the next couple of years. Brenda, the most positive signal
1: you got this week from, you know, those stock comebacks that I mentioned is what?
3: I think, you know, we're in this environment where I think, you know, being, um being diversified is really important so if we look at what's happening in large cap tech. I think we're having a you know. A, a tightening of financial conditions which means the economy is slowing a little bit. And I think that drives people into those safer names where we know they may not be growing as fast as they did last year. Uh, but they're still likely to be able to grow and, and have incredible balance sheets. Financials. Similarly, I agree with Jim. The you know the consumer. If we look at where they're at, their balance sheets are pristine. They're likely working through savings. They may start to borrow some more. Uh, That would certainly be a positive uh, for the financials. We haven't really seen that in a meaningful way yet, but certainly would be a a real positive for the financials in this environment. So I think you know if we look at what's happened collectively we've had a lot of participation in terms of sectors working this week. But I think if we can get back to the fundamental stories here I think that would be an important uh, turning point here in the market. Um, which Rich, I'm Rich Saperstein. To
1: oh sorry Brenda I, th- I thought you finished talking my, my bad. Um, Rich Saperstein I think you you helped write the city note today that downgraded U.S. equities Uh, While the U.S. recession is not the base case for city (laughs) economics, they say uncertainty is very high. The Fed seeming to guide for a recession is not reassuring. So that pretty much matches up with, with your view, it sounds like.
6: Yeah, but there's still opportunity out there. And we're just talking about technology. And the fact that these prices of large cap tech has come down, yet their cash flows are increasing, is actually making them somewhat interesting. So let's take a look at Google right now. Um, Google's operating cash flow, $98 billion, that's 7% of the market cap. And Google, the operating cash flow since 2019 is up 80%, but the stock is only up 54%. So if I didn't have any exposure to tech right now, there's a name that actually is improving now with this market move. Uh, The operating cash flow of the S&P is only six and a half. So you can buy Google, with a higher operating cash flow than the S&P right now. And you know the prospects for Google going forward. They don't have supply chain shortages, okay? They don't have to worry about inflation other than in, let's say, their labor costs.
1: Why'd you sell, I want to go through some of these moves real quick with you that I mentioned in passing earlier. Why'd you sell Disney,
6: a stock you've had for years? Well, streaming wars, Like. Here's how I look at it. it: a lot of money is needed to create a movie, and people are watching it once or twice. Maybe The Godfather, you watch five times, but music you want you listen to repeatedly. So I didn't like the streaming wars. They're exposed to a weakened consumer. China lockdowns impacting things, and just didn't want to own a stock anymore. It's a, it was an expensive that, stock.
7: You
1: just don't want to, just didn't want to own it anymore. You you still own it.
4: Yeah, I still own it. And look, Rich and I spoke on the uh, the morning briefing and kind of, Rich, you didn't say this. I'm reading into it, all right? What I heard was he's exhausted by it, right? And he trimmed Boeing. And I, I get it, right? I get it. Sometimes you're just like, I want to get rid of this thing and move on. We're going to talk about a move later on that I made where I just got rid of something. i tired of it. It was a, it was a, it was a, a loser. Um, I don't uh, Listen, I'm on the other side from you, Rich, with regards to the streaming wars. I think that the impact of Netflix's last quarter has already been felt, and what you're seeing in that industry is winners versus losers. I think Disney is one of the winners. I think Paramount is the other winner. Um, Sorry about Netflix, it's just not doing it. Um, But I do think that, you know, that's an industry you need to look forward a year or two and say, when Disney has 220 million subscribers, when Paramount has 100 million subscribers, what do they do with that? They have a lot of revenue and earnings that comes from that at that level. I think that's gonna be pretty powerful. You gotta invest in it now. But I understand you get tired sometimes, it happens to me, we'll talk about that in a sec.
1: Yeah, as I said, he trimmed Boeing uh, to one and a half percent out of pure frustration. (laughs) He's very frustrated. Wow. He sold. Disney was frustrated, got out. Boeing frustrated, he trims it. Well, Cisco it, it, it's frustrated. frustrated.
6: It's actually, Cisco. There's <laughs> actually some sound reasoning. Uh, do I want to wait around for the 8.7 to get approved and then for China to approve the 3.7? Sure, I love the defense business, but why do we want to sit around with this? I, I'd rather own oil right now. There's tremendous economics in the oil business right now. But you continue,
1: I mean, you you initiated Occidental, uh, the XLE, Exxon Mobil, Imperial Oil in April. You know, there's a developing school of thought, Rich, that those trades are topping out and that money is going to come out of that and go into tech, which people perceive to have bottomed. And that's going to be an interesting dynamic that a lot of investors are going to be caught by surprise by.
6: Yeah. So the world uses 97 um, million barrels of oil a day. Russia's 4.7 billion. There's 2% excess capacity. Okay, So where are we making up that capacity from? These oil companies have gotten tremendously more efficient. All right. Their operating cash flows are anywhere from 10 to 20 percent right now. So they're generating a tremendous amount of cash. They're going to be returning it to shareholders. And in an environment where I see tremendous volatility, I think it's a great place to hide out. So we're very overweight in oil. I'm not worrying about a rotation. I don't need 50, 150 bucks in oil, a barrel in oil for these names to work out. And finally, oil has proven an elegant way to hedge this S&P right now.
1: Yeah you see um, BXLE uh, moving to the highs of the day there too. We will take a break. We'll come back. Jim mentioned teased the fact that he made some moves. We're going to go through them next. We're back in two minutes. Uh, Stocks we will call it the highs of the day or awfully close. 352 on the Dow breaking that eight week losing streak. 32,988. So we're trying to get back and hang on 33,000. The S&P 500 is good for one and three quarters percent. NASDAQ has been the big winner of the week. Uh, It's up nearly 2.5% as those mega-cap tech stocks have rallied back. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. All right, we got some moves to talk about. Jim Labenthal. Your Honor. You bought deer, tell me why.
4: That probably surprises no one, including you, right? I mean, that's a Labenthal stock, just a classic value industrial. I don't know who said shocker. Was it, John? Um, Look, it's a classic value (laughs) industrial name. But also, we know what's going on with grain prices and agricultural prices around the world. That's likely to last for a while. I still believe no recession, and we're early in an economic cycle. So at 15 times this year's earnings, 13 times next year's earnings, peg ratio of 0.9, which is my preferred metric, I'm happy to get dear 20% off of the high from two months ago. Okay, now you sold PayPal. Ugh. Why now? Um. You know, that expression I just gave was, I think, how rich was feeling. Yeah. I'm going to use an old tried-and-true expression of mine. A long time ago, 25 years ago, a mentor said, you know, you don't buy securities. You sell securities. You buy insecurities. And what he meant by that was when you don't know as much about a stock as when you've owned it for a while. And what I mean by that is once I buy it, obviously I've done my investment homework, but I'm hoping to get more and more knowledge about what the company's doing as I go through earnings reports. I bought this about two quarters ago. I think it was around 180. We see where it is today. It's an obvious miss. But importantly, I don't feel I know more about it today than I did when I got into it. It's been a loser. I want to get it out of my portfolio. I'm tired of looking at it. I'm cutting it and moving it on. And I'm frustrated and exhausted and ugh. You okay? Yeah, I feel good. (laughs) I feel actually... (laughs) Did that feel feel good? That felt great. That was cathartic. That's that's cathartic. When you sell a loser, you feel fantastic. You feel lighter. (laughs) All right. You sold Dow uh, also (laughs) Tell me about that one. Um, Dow was a solid winner. Okay, I felt like taking a win. You know, Scott, I've got so many value and cyclicals, they're coming out of my nostrils. I don't have anything negative to say about Dow, but I really wanted to get dear on what I perceived to be the cheap. I needed to raise some funds. Dow is where I take it from. I got plenty of materials between Cleveland Cliffs, Sherwin-Williams. I got a ton of value in cyclicals. So it's just, you know, buy low and sell
1: high. Okay. Now, we didn't really get a commentary from you, Weiss, about getting back into Cliffs because you... I mean, you've traded in and out of it a, a couple, a few times. I, I, I've lost track. But why did you target that one? Because you, you've you been negative on it. We've had debates between you and Jim. And, but now you've chosen of all the stocks that you could have in your, your market universe, why that one?
2: Well, there are a couple of reasons. Number one, it's... Uh, I've traded fairly well. I mean, I sold it at 26 and went up to 30, whatever, one or two, but it was a big gainer. And I got it down at just above 22. So when, when when I'm trading around the market on events, I go to names that I know and I know pretty well. I've not been really negative on Cleveland Cliffs. I just thought that it became momentum stock. And that I didn't want to play momentum stock because they don't end well. So the stocks come down by, by a third. And again, I wanted quick market exposure. I wanted liquidity so I can get in well, and out of a name. And that was what I knew.
1: But I mean, you, 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 I mean, you, you have been negative on it. You've been negative about the economy. And you have questioned why you would want to yep. own a stock like this if you thought the economy was weakening.
2: Uh, again, yes, and I am negative on the economy. and I do see a recession, but again, it's, it's a company I know. They've got a big buyback going on, so I've got some support there. Uh, and I'm not gonna be in the, in the stocks for long. I mean, look, I don't think I'll be in them by the middle of next week. This is really just, just a trade off the bottom. And I thought I finally got a reasonable trade. And I didn't get it as soon as the trade happened. You now I came to it a couple of days late on all of it. But Cleveland Cliffs just didn't have the move yet. So that's why I thought I was comfortable getting in.
4: Okay. Look, I get where Steve is on this, all right? He's making a short term trade on the markets. He wants a high beta name like Cleveland Cliffs. Totally get it. Not going to argue with him. He knows as well as I do that my uh, outlook is far more long term. There are long term contracts in place at very attractive revenue levels for steel. And their input costs are fixed at a very low level because they produce their own iron more. Iron ore, excuse me, where everybody else has to buy pig iron from Ukraine, which has gone through the roof. So, from a fundamental point of view, I like this for the long term. If Steve wants to play a high beta play for a short term trade, I won't get in his way. I won't, I won't criticize him.
1: Okay, Dr. J, uh, you have a move. You bought Dell shares mm-hmm. and they're up huge.
5: Yep, uh, bought that one, Scott. I thought that uh, people weren't giving them the proper due. Uh, for this VMware sale. And obviously, they got a huge windfall out of VMware. Uh, they got a lot more than the reported $50 billion takeover number when it was first leaked. Um, but they also cut their debt dramatically with this sale, Scott. And I don't think that was being properly priced in either. Because obviously, in a rising rate environment, this is something that could really negatively impact what is otherwise a juggernaut that Michael Dell. Um, and Silver Lake have put together here, um, and I would say that uh, that 's one of the main reasons. also, they blew out earnings today i didn 't know they were going to do that, but those sure. earnings you know were what uh, fifty cents a share better than the street estimate, so like 164 versus 125 in rough terms or something. They also beat on sales. So everything about this report was great. Then you cut your debt and you get rid of, uh, not that they needed to get rid of VMware, but they got a premium price for VMware from Mr. Tan. So I'd say, yeah, that's uh, a lot of positives and that's why I jumped in.
1: Okay, all right, we're gonna take a break. Still ahead on the half, John of course has unusual activity plus We are celebrating Asian-American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month featuring some of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here's Jane Hyun, the author of Breaking the Bamboo Ceiling.
8: The concept of this bamboo ceiling, which I've worked on for the past 20 years, uh, continues to be a barrier for Asian-Americans. And it's this myth of Asians as a docile group of hardworking capable people who have overcome barriers to discrimination, and I believe that's really false. And I've been working inside Fortune 500 companies where Asians are simply not making it all the way through the system. Uh, There's a lot of work to do there. So I believe it's important to, when we look at diversity and inclusion efforts, to include them in that process, right, to include them in that conversation, um, because many of them are still falling through the cracks.
7: You seek the key.
0: Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Frank Holland. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. China and Russia vetoed a U.N. resolution that would have imposed tough new sanctions on North Korea. The U.S.-sponsored resolution was in response to North Korea's recent launch of ballistic missiles that could potentially be used to deliver nuclear weapons. The vote in the Security Council marks the first serious division among the veto-wielding members on North Korean sanctions. The Justice Department is once again declining to charge former FBI agents accused of failing to properly investigate former USA Gymnastics doctor Larry Nassar. Nassar pleaded guilty in 2018 to abusing 10 of the hundreds of patients who came forward to say that they had been molested. He's now serving up to 175 years in prison. And President Joe Biden delivering a commencement address at the U.S. Naval Academy today to over a thousand graduates in the class of 2022. On Sunday, the commander in chief and the first lady will travel to Uvalde, Texas, to mourn with that community after Tuesday's school shooting. Halftime, we'll be right back.
1: All right, take a look at the markets right here because we are holding on to the highs of the day. Dow has gone positive for the month of May, and at least right now, barring something unforeseen, and of course you never know with the markets the way they've been, We are going to break the schneid. We've been down eight straight weeks on the Dow. We've been down seven straight weeks on the S&P and the Nasdaq, and we're poised to break all of that as we've rallied, gosh, in a week, like eight plus percent on the S&P. It's been quite a comeback for stocks. Let's talk calls of the day now. CVS, downgraded to market perform at Bernstein. Brenda, we do it because you own it.
3: Yes, so I think you know this analyst. It was a reinitiation of coverage of the whole sector, um, and within that, he thinks that CVS is less attractive than some other names. But we would disagree. We still really like CVS. We think they're incredibly unique in terms of their integrated healthcare model. Definitely well positioned to deal with a shift more value-based care that we see coming in the future. And if we look at what they're doing, they are being very innovative. They really are trying to capture more digital customers. They had 44 million digital customers. Um, uh, at the end of last quarter. So really are making good strides and uh, it's been an excellent performer. We really continued like the name, only 11 times earnings as well, I mentioned.
1: All right, Uh, let's talk gap, Uh, ugly. What else can I say? Downgraded to underweight Mm. at Morgan Stanley. Downgraded to underweight at JP Morgan. Take a look at the shares, please, of the gap. Let's see, there they are. Wow, they've come back. That's surprising. Because they were down like 17 18% pre-market, down 5% after that, and now they've rallied. And that's an interesting sign for the market, too. Doc, you bought the gap shares.
5: Yeah, I did, Scott. And I did uh, more or less thinking the same sort of thing that we were seeing some sort of a washout. I mean, you know, for God's sake, the inventory levels were up over 30%. Um, Old Navy, which is usually the, just their uh, stellar side of their business, was not, and that's where a lot of the inventory build was. But uh, Banana Republic turned around pretty dramatically, and uh, sales were up there, I think, over 20%. Um, so uh, when the, it had a circuit breaker this morning that took shares down to about 950. Um, That's when we jumped in, bought it, had unusual activity in the options that expire next week. So I don't know if this is a long-term hold, Scott, but it's probably a hold into next week, next Friday, when these options expire.
4: Mm. You looking at retail? I'm looking Ready at retail, retail I am looking at retail, hope to have something to talk to you about next week, but it's not going to be Gap Stores or Abercrombie & Fitch or American Eagle. That's, you, you have to have a level of insight into what's going on with fashion that, all kidding aside, I don't have. I don't know when khakis are in and I'm supposed to go to the Gap. Evident. I don't know when you know teen, sexy, chic is in and I'm supposed to go to Abercrombie & Fitch. So you're going to see me probably next week with something that's a little bigger picture on retail.
1: I mean, teen retail has not been doing well, and I, I recall a conversation uh, I think it was Melissa on the 3 o'clock with uh, Dana Telsey, who talked about how weak teen has been. But you look at some of these other names this week, uh, Dollar Tree up 27.5% this week. Macy's, 26. Dollar General, 21. Ross, 21. Nordstrom, 20. Nordstrom. Best Buy, Costco, TJX.
4: So here's the point. And by the way, Dana Telsey, great analyst on exactly the things I don't know. The point is this. The consumer does appear to be in good shape. So I don't want to have the risk that I buy the wrong little boutique shop. I'm looking more at the big picture level like some of those names you were talking about, Scott.
1: Okay, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. We have John's unusual activity coming up. Also want to remind you, for details on how to become a CNBC Pro member, scan the QR code you see on the screen right there or you can go to cnbc.com slash Memorial Day Pro. Halftime back right after this. Time for unusual activity. Dr. J, what do you see?
5: Uh, General Motors, Scott. Uh, this is one, of course, that a lot of members on the half.
1: Looks like Doc's shot has frozen. We can keep it there for a second and see if he... Uh stops freezing. But General Motors had unusual activity. You want to vamp with me here?
4: (laughs) I hope it was on the call side and not on the put side. Um, No, look, I think we're in a risk on market right now. The market, as I've said a couple of times, Scott, uh, seems to be thinking maybe a recession is not the base case. And if it isn't the base case, people are going to be buying autos. All right. General Motors is exceedingly cheap. By the way, I'm seeing inventories pick up a little bit. This is just anecdotal. Uh, I'm seeing inventories on the dealer lots picking up, and that's a good sign that they're able to produce. The demand is there used car prices have, have seemed maybe rolled over. That's probably healthy, don't you think? I mean, you know, you want people to be able to buy cars, well, that, whether it's used or
1: that, new. That's part of the whole, like, trying to get demand down, inflation down. Uh, that's one of the signs that, that we've been looking for. Dr. J is unfrozen now, I, I am told. Doc?
5: <laughs> hey, Scott. Um, thank you guys for uh, juggling there very adeptly. General Motors, 18,000 of the June 37 calls, bought, bought, bought. So yes, Jim, those were calls. ChargePoint, 4,400 of the June 1250 calls, bought aggressively. And lastly, USO, they were buying 4,000 of the July 86 calls in USO. all of these three more or less auto or at least transportation related, and uh, all three of them, bullish buys.
1: All right. Uh, Interesting. U.S. oil there, too. All right. Just in time for the holiday weekend. Top Gun Maverick is here. Will it deliver big time for Paramount? You know who to my left right there. He owns it. And tonight, 6 Eastern. Tune in for a CNBC special report with Frank Holland. Crypto Night in America. We're back on the half after this. All right. Stocks are holding on to some nice gains ahead of the long weekend, where many of you might see this movie. Paramount's Top Gun Maverick opening in time for Memorial Day weekend. Julia Borston is here with more. Hi, Julia.
8: Well, Scott, Top Gun Maverick has already grossed over $19 million in Thursday night previews. That's the highest preview in Paramount's history and the highest preview going into Memorial Day weekend. So this does bode well for a box office rebound in a year when so far, year to date, the box office is 58% of what it was in 2019. Comscore projects the film, which cost an estimated $150 million plus to make, to bring in over $115 million at the domestic box office this weekend. Comscore just upping that projection. That's bolstered by a 97% positive critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes. A hit would be a key win for Paramount, whose stock is down about 22% in the past year. And all of the media giants, Disney, Comcast, and Warner Brothers Discovery are hoping that moviegoers pack theaters despite inflationary pressures, And what's effectively free content at home on streaming services. And that's because they all have big releases coming later this summer. Theater chains also have a lot at stake. In the past year, AMC Entertainment shares are down 49%, Cinemark is down 28%, and IMAX shares are off 25%. And this summer, they face a particular challenge in the fact that there are fewer wide releases. This year, there are just 35 wide releases scheduled between Memorial Day and Labor Day. That's down from 37 last year and 45 in 2018 and 2019, according to Comscore. Scott?
1: All right. All right. Julia, thank you. That's Julia Borston. You own Paramount. Talk about it all the
4: time. I feel pretty good about this weekend and this movie, which seems like it's going to be great. I'm going to go see it. I mean, this, this looks great. The reviews are great. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Disney produced uh, Doctor Strange, the, I don't know, 20th of the Marvel Universe. Their weekend take was $185 million. That indicates that people are coming back to the movies. That was a big take. $115 million for the projections for this weekend. I think that's low. Also, it, uh, Paramount's last earnings call, Scott, they talked about moviegoers are coming back, and they cited Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, Jackass, which of course is a biopic on steve weiss um, but they said that, they said these oh. movies are coming back people are coming back to the theater i had oh. to. I, how could i not i've been waiting for a month to say that i'm sorry folks. hey i liked it i appreciate it
2: jim
1: as the, as the judge i'll allow it
4: no,
2: look, look, it should,
1: this
4: movie's gotten very good reviews i want to go see it i think others are going to want to go see it i think i think on monday you're going to have a very good report on the box office take
1: all right let's uh let's take a quick break we'll come back wrap up uh, this week in the markets here again we're uh, pretty much holding on to the highs of the day uh trying to break this long losing streak a weekly losing streak i'll see you in two minutes We got overtime today to walk you into the holiday weekend, uh, what looks to be a big week for stocks, breaking the schneid. As I said, we're going to chat with Adam Parker, our own Shannon Sakosha, Gene Munster. We'll talk about the big comeback in tech and especially Apple shares. Dan Greenhouse, Ed Denny, some great guests to set you up for next week in the markets. Let's take a look at stocks right here, too. We are holding on to pretty sizable gains. Dow's up 353, uh, trying to get back to 33,000. S&P is above 4,100, so we've we've gotten through some pretty pivotal, pivotal, I should say, uh, thresholds uh, over the last five days. There's the NASDAQ with a nice comeback. You know, Brenda, I'm looking at an Apple, for example. You know, this stock had a, you know, 130-something on it. It's approaching 150. The kind of things that you're going to be watching heading into next week, most importantly, are what?
3: You know we're really looking at a continuation of a fundamental story here and wanted to get more confirmation uh, that the economy is still healthy um, and that that investors are willing to put some money to work here as a result um, so I think it will be important to see that follow through next week which I hope will come um, and really further substantiate this move that we've seen in the market recently.
1: Rich Saperstein what if the skies are in fact turning more blue. What if some of the storm clouds are going away?
6: Well, we'll still wait for quantitative tightening to be implemented, starts next month, 47 billion, and we'll move to 95 billion. And we're gonna watch that. If uh, we buy the market up 10%, that's fine. You got a final trade for me? Costco, love it. Uh, mm-hmm. Limited number of SKUs, 10%, uh, same store sales, uh, just great adoption in the membership, so it's a great time to get into
1: it. Oh, you get into it here. If if you didn't own it, you'd get into it. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Uh, good stuff. It's good seeing you too, Brenda. Final trade.
3: Uh, Zoetis Animal Health. There's limited competition from generics. Uh, there's also you don't have to deal with Medicare, um, and you have a willing customer, healthy consumer that's willing to spend on pets.
1: Okay. Uh, Steve Weiss.
2: Yeah, I'm long Jim Labenthal, but also OVV. It's one of my first energy buy in a long, long time. Cheap, about three times uh, EBITDA, cheap on a price to sales, PE, and they got great acreage, and they missed the last two quarters. So I've been following you for a while. I think they do well now.
5: Okay, Doc? Blackberry, Scott. BB, uh, upside call buying. I bought the stock.
1: Okay. Farmer Jim.
4: Uh, Disney, I expect a knock-on effect from what I was talking about with Paramount.
1: All right. Uh, It's been fun, Uh, really fun. I hope all of you have a great, long weekend. That does it for us here on the Halftime Report. I, of course, will see you, well, I'll see you in a couple hours at 3 o'clock today and at 4, the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.